you pray for our time in the Word? Father God, thank you so much. Because you are good. You're a good Father. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. You are so faithful, Father. Your faithfulness endure forever. So, Father God, we come together to hear from you. Father, help us now leave this place the same way that we came. And speak to us, Holy Spirit. Change us from the inside out, God. Make all things new in us, Father. Help us to, to humble ourselves before you, God.
praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. For your mercy, your grace, for your love that endures forever. The hope that we have in you, Father, that hope in Christ Jesus our Lord will never disappoint us. We thank you for the season that's ahead of us. people are planning on celebrating father this Christmas season I pray father that we would not lose sight of truly the meaning of this season it's you Lord and it shouldn't just be a season and it shouldn't just be a day but father it should be a lifestyle especially for believers God, that each and every single day, Father, we would behold you. Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, the risen Savior. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you so love the world, that you gave your one and only Son that Whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, I pray, God, that we would fix our eyes upon you. And as we come together today to open up your living word, Father, I pray, God, that you would minister to each of us, Holy Spirit. You know exactly where we're at. I pray that our hearts would be of good soil to receive your word. And that it would truly take root. And that it would produce lasting fruit in our lives. I pray, Father, that we would know, Lord. And that we would have the confidence that we can find in Christ. And Lord, if there be any listening today, rather here or via Facebook, or even listening to the podcast at a later time, God, if they are not in Christ, if they do not have the confidence of your resurrection, of your way, of your truth, then I pray, Father, for their salvation, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ they would have a, a bold confession and a strong belief, Father, that you are the Son of God and that you have risen from the dead and that they would be born again. So we thank you for the hope that is found only in Christ. May our time together be pleasing unto you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Seven, our verse of the year. A few more weeks left of 2020. Galatians 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. 
You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And as I've been asking us over the past couple of months throughout this year, what are you putting your hands towards? What are you putting your eyes upon? Where are you allowing your feet to lead you? What are you allowing to come forth from your mouth? As you plant, so you will harvest. Some translations say, as you sow, so shall you reap. You know the fruit that's coming from your life. Others see the fruit coming from your life. But ultimately, God sees the fruit coming from your life. <clears throat> we are encouraged throughout Scripture that God is for us, He's not against us. That God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. That we understand that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. You see, there is no one like our God. He is the living God. He is the true God. He is the great I Am. And I've been encouraging us even before the year began. <clears throat> That we are heading into troublesome times. That the world is growing darker and darker and darker. And as you've heard me say, as if I'm on repeat, but there is good news. And that good news is that the church is still on the earth. We are to be His image bearers. We are to go forth and to bear His image, to be the light in the darkness. And so as the world is growing darker, the church is not to grow darker. No, the church should be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Because we are abiding in Christ. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. Because apart from me, you could do nothing. And I've been encouraging us and reminding us that we are waking up each and every single day behind enemy lines. We are in a battle we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but the Bible tells us with the rulers and the principalities in the air and the darkness. This isn't a joke. We shouldn't make light of our sin. We shouldn't dismiss it as if it's nothing. Jesus paid a price for it. We're not to remain in rebellion towards his kingdom towards his throne. I've reminded us over the past few months, there's no error found in God. God is good. God is just. God is right. God is holy. No, the error is found in man. <laughs> in his creation that is in rebellion towards him. But God knows our rebellious hearts. He knows our condition. That's why he came. He came to set the captives free. That's why I keep reminding us, as Scripture reminds us, that we must be born again of a new nature, no longer bent towards rebellion, but empowered by the Holy Spirit as we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're born again. We receive the Holy Spirit, God in us, working through us, 
to redeem the lost, to reconcile them back to God through Christ. As we go forth proclaiming the good news, sharing the good news, sowing unto righteousness, unto godliness, so that others can see a transformed life. And I've been encouraging us, if others aren't seeing that transformation in us, then who are we pointing them to? The work that is done within us, this process of sanctification, that is an ongoing process until we are with Him, all points to Jesus. It's nothing about us. It's nothing about how we're doing it, what we're doing, anything about us. We can't take credit for it. It is all of God working in and through us as we are submitting to Him, as we are walking humbly before Him, allowing Him to have full reign in our life being led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says to walk habitually in the Spirit so you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And I've been reminding us that we've got to stop making sin greater than our God. We've got to stop making all the chaos and, and all the craziness that's going on in the world greater than our God because God is greater than any of it. God is in control and nothing has taken Him by surprise. And as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you are rooted down in Christ, you are growing. Remember, perfection is not the goal, but maturing is. Because you're not going to be perfect until you're with Him. But until you get there, you are to continue to move forward. I've been reminding us throughout this year, that's the movement of your Christian life. It's a movement of, of, of moving forward, a progression it's not time. It's not time just to sit back and to lay back and just be mediocre and lukewarm. We must remember what Jesus says. I would rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You know, Jesus takes who he is, his purpose, and his kingdom serious. And so shall we. Do you think upon the kingdom of God? Do you behold Jesus? Do you get up every day remembering you are behind enemy lines? That sin is no longer to be your master. No, you are now a slave unto righteousness. There is a way in which you should be living. And in this day and age, in the days to come, and the generations ahead of us, the church is going to be more isolated and removed from society. They're going to hate us at a greater level. They're going to despise us. They're going to look upon us as the enemy. And if you're not equipped, if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, you're going to fall to the wayside. You will not be able to stand for truth. If you're cowering down to everything and to anything and every desire and every emotion, everything that flares up, you're not going to be able to stand when, when the multitude is surrounding you. Oh, how I pray that you all are, are seeking Him diligently. 
and that you put aside the foolishness and the folly. And as you look forward to this upcoming new year, this new season, oh, how I pray that you're committed to Christ above all. Above all. And you must remember, apart from Him, you can do nothing. You must take your Christian life serious. You must recognize that you do not belong to yourself. That there is a greater purpose for your life than just living for the natural self. For the natural man. For the natural woman. No, a greater purpose. If you are in Christ, you are to be kingdom minded, Holy Spirit filled, ready for battle, dressed for battle, and warfaring daily. Throughout the day. Praying without ceasing. Sharing when the opportunity comes to open up your mouth and to share the gospel. To serve. To don't think of yourself highly above others as if, as, as if you're ruling over them or if you're better than them. No, but you're humbling yourself. And you're serving. And you're loving and you're thinking of others before you think of yourself. Like there's a way in which we are called to live. So how are you living? Go to um, Luke 17. We read this last week, but I want to put this back before us. Luke 17, verse 20 through 37. I got a few verses I want to go over with us. Well, more than a few. Um, before we pick up and we start walking through Scripture. But Luke chapter 17, verse 28. When we think about our purpose, when we think about this new life that we have in Christ, we're living again not for the natural man, but for the spiritual man. We are in and have been engrafted into the family of God. We have been given sonship. We have been given the right we have been, been adopted into the family of God. We're allowed to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. We recognize that this earth is not our home, that we're just passing through. We're not clinging tightly to the temporalness of this life, but we're looking up and onward for the eternal life. We're living now for eternity. We have eternity in sight we're not, we're not misguided or misled any longer by the temporalness of this life. Oh, how I pray that is true for you. Because His kingdom is coming. Jesus continues to remind us His kingdom is coming. And when you think about the Pharisees, the religious people of His day, these religious people knew prophecy. They knew the prophetic Times in which they were living. <clears throat> and yet, they didn't believe. There's a lot of people sitting in churches today claiming to be Christians. They know scripture. They know prophecy. They can even possibly recognize the signs. But that's all they have. Knowledge with no faith with no belief. 
the Pharisees, again, knew the signs of the times in which they were living. Things before them were, were, were manifesting before them. John the Baptist, the call to repentance, Jesus showing up, doing miracles, signs and wonders. Dead people coming back to life. People being delivered from the demons. And instead of them seeing Christ as the Messiah, they were threatened by Him. They didn't want to let go of what they laid hold of. Their power. And as it is with us and sitting in church today, if you are still holding on to your way, to your truth, to your life, you're not in Christ. You're just holding a form of religion. And I've reminded us throughout the years, where you're then the one that the Bible warns us not to have fellowship with. The Bible says, have nothing to do with those who just hold a form of godliness, but deny God's power. Hear that this morning. Are you living a transformed life? Or do you just go to church? You're just not to go to church. You are the church. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish His will and His purpose for such a time as this. I've encouraged us, if you are in Christ and you still have breath within your body, you have a purpose for today. <laughs> to go forth and to live for Christ. To preach the good news. To serve others. To advance His kingdom. By His power for his glory. Jesus was standing here before the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Then, look what happens here. He turns to his disciples. The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. But you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man. Or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end up to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the day of Noah. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. 
People went out there about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the day Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into a house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will sleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. And Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate the time is near. We can see through Scripture that Jesus gives us these understanding of the days, that it, the day it will be like before His return. We're seeing it. We don't know the day or the hour when he is returning, but he is returning to collect those who belong to him. But those who don't are going to endure a horrible, a horrible wrath and ultimately a horrible eternity in hell. Oh, how I pray that we're not making light of sin. Oh, how I pray that we're not allowing our rebellion to be what defines us. Oh, how I pray we're just not clinging to our lives, refusing to release our power over it. (laughs) Because we just want to hold on to our control. Oh, but how I pray that we're submitting to Christ, you all. That we understand the call of a disciple to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, and to follow Him. And the Christian life isn't this humdrum, bummed out life. Poor me. Look what I have to give up. Look at this. Look at that. There's no fun. And it's this weird existence. No, the Christian life is a new life. In fact, you know purpose. You have meaning. Life around you. It's more than you can even possibly take in because of the goodness of God. You see God in everything and in everyone. You see His creation. You long to be with Him. He is first. And your life is no longer about yourself. You're dressing for battle. You are behind enemy lines. And I've been reminding us throughout the years. I mean, just think about it. <clears throat> think about how Christians are being persecuted. Think about how the Bible, the Word of God, has had to endure governments trying to burn it, to remove it. Religious people trying to keep it out of the common folk hand and hearts. And then you have preachers and so-called Christians watering it down, stripping it of its worth, all for the sake of promoting a selfish life. 
Oh, just live however you want. God is okay with it. Ah, oh, don't take Scripture so serious. Jesus really didn't say this. And they give you the right to yourself. And I've been warning us, when you hear the gospel being preached that's giving you any amount of self-life, run from it, flee from it. It's not the gospel. Oh, how we should be standing for truth. Oh, how people should be longing to be among fellowship, to be growing in the Word, to be discipled. Oh, how there should be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness instead of clinging to your old way of life. Instead of showing up or turning on And not being impacted by truth. Because you are refusing God. Remember, I keep telling this. It's not God stiff-arming us. It's not God hiding from us. No. It's us stiff-arming God. It's us thinking that we're hiding from God. No. God is gracious, God is kind, God is good, God is love. But as we've been talking, He's not only a God of love, but He's a God of wrath. He's not only a God of wrath, He's a God of love. But ultimately, it's God who says in His word that it's His will that none shall perish. My God is so gracious and kind, and yet people are refusing to turn to Him. They want the benefit of him, but they don't want him. They want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. And that's been the mindset of the creation, the created being from day one. Adam and Eve walked with God, but that wasn't enough for them. They had to bite into that fruit. Israel was giving God as their king. But that wasn't enough. They wanted a man to be king. They wanted to be lorded over and and ruled over by a man. The created instead of the creator. And as it is today, there are many sitting among the church demanding that they allow the created to rule them and not the creator. Listen, that is a sign of judgment when God turns us over to be ruled by the created. Oh, how we need to wake up. How we need to seek Him. And the Bible says if we seek Him, we will find Him. If we seek Him with our whole heart, Jesus gives them this understanding about the coming of the kingdom. He gives us a glimpse of what, it, of what the days would look like as it was in Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. So it shall be. People will be living and going about as normal, not understanding that at that very moment... <laughs> Christ would return. 
Oh, where here with where will he find us? In his presence or enslaved to the created? Apart from him. Oh, how I pray that we have a longing and a thirst and a hunger, as I've mentioned before, for righteousness, for holiness. And that's what I'm praying for for this upcoming year. If there's anything that we've learned from 2020, is that we can't take stock in the temporalness of this life and cling to it. Because in an instant, we can all be turned upside down, stripped from us. And so what's left? You know where all the anxiety and the depression and the unsettledness is coming from in this day and age? It's because people don't have an understanding of a value, of worth, of significance. And so when, we're, when the world is turned upside down, when circumstances are beyond our control... We look to ourselves, we look to government, we look to others, we look to drugs, we look to sex, we look to whatever, to try to give us purpose and worth and significance. But that longing can only be found in Christ, your Creator. Look to Him. Seek Him. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to God. Receive Christ and be free. No freedom. Walk in freedom. Abide in Him. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12 through 30. Jesus is the light of the world. And we're also going to see in these scriptures that the unbelieving people were warned. Jesus spoke to the people, verse 12 of chapter 8, once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Highlight that. Circle that. Go back this week and meditate upon that scripture. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. To life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. And Jesus told them, These claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct. In every respect, because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. 
And Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Jesus, you all, he knew his purpose. Remember John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Taking a step a little further in those scriptures there, we see that Jesus says, the understanding of Jesus that he didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. But don't stop there. It goes on and it continues to say, because the world already stands condemned. You see, the world is already stand, they stand condemned. It's already judged. The wrath of God is going to hit this place. Sinners are going to be swallowed up in His wrath. God understands our condition. The Bible says that He loved us, yet though we were in complete rebellion towards Him. And it's because of that love that He sent Jesus in to the world to save the world. To save the world. Are you in Christ? Because if you're not, then your only hope is no hope at all. Because you're striving. And yet, it's all worth nothing. You're stumbling around the darkness trying to find some sense of worth. And if that's where you remain, that's where for eternity you will find yourself in a place of torment. Never finding significance or worth or purpose. Oh, will you turn to Christ? Will you understand That God loves you. That He understands your condition. He has sent forth Himself to save you from Himself. Because His wrath is coming. The Bible tells us that His wrath is stored up. But there's a day. And we're living in prophetic times. There's a day that it's coming. Oh, but praise be to God for those who are in Christ. We do not have to worry. We do not have to fret. When we see that the signs are escalating, then we should even draw closer to God, closer to Christ, walking empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because we know His return is near. Yet again, he's revealing himself to us. I am the light of the world. He goes on in verse 21. Later, Jesus said to them, I'm going away. You will search for me, but you will die in your sin. You cannot come where I'm going. The people ask, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean? You cannot come where I'm going. And Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. Look at this. 
For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Highlight that. Circle that. Underline it. Meditate upon that this week. It's not a new scripture. We've studied this. We've talked about it before here. But I felt led to bring it back before us. Look at what Jesus is saying. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. You can have all the knowledge you want. You can, under, you can have even understanding of the prophetic. You can be sitting in church. But if you don't believe, you're going to die in your sins. You see, your belief in Christ, your, your confession and your belief that He is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead, that defines your life. What you put your hands to, what you allow your eyes to gaze upon, what you allow out of your mouth, and where you allow your feet to lead you. It should define you. You should be growing. You should be maturing in the knowledge of who Christ is because it transforms you as you have been born again of a new nature. How then now shall I live? Because my old man, my old woman, I no longer live by the dictates of its desires. I'm no longer clinging to what is behind. No, I'm looking forward and I'm engaged with my Savior as He has given Himself to me, as the Holy Spirit is living in me and through me, that I will walk by faith and not by sight, that my confession and my belief will define who I am. Because remember, He is resurrected. That's what you say you believe and that's what you're confessing, that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. That is our faith and that is our belief. It's our confession. Our eyes have been opened. We've been enlightened to truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. So why then would we continue to settle and feast off dead works? Dead things. Dead relationships. Why would we continue to look for the culture to 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 find value or worth then. You see, it's a whole new way of living. I keep reminding us, Jesus is not still in the tomb and He's not still on the cross. And yet that's where so-called Christians keep Him. They keep Him on the cross. They keep Him in the tomb because it justifies their need to sin. Their need to continue to find worth in a culture that is killing people. The culture who is driven by Satan. There's nothing good found in the world. It is ruled and reigned by death and destruction. And yet... We come to church half-hearted. I love God. But no, really, I love the world. 
I have just enough God to, to satisfy me, but I really need this relationship in my life. I really need this and this desire to be fulfilled. And we live half-hearted with divided loyalties. And oh, we better know the word. <laughs> because a life like that is not a life honoring to God. And you will be swallowed up in his wrath. I told you for the past couple of weeks, I've been studying my own private time on the warnings that are found in Scripture. Warnings to so-called Christians, to those sitting in the church, to the religious people who think they are saved because they prayed a little prayer or they have a knowledge and yet they're not even known because they don't even know. You see, the God that they're worshiping, the God that they get all emotional about, the God that they pray to, He's still in the tomb. He's still on the cross. And He's no God at all. Because He hasn't accomplished anything. But when you know the risen God, when you know the risen Savior, when that is a bold testimony that you have faith in, that you believe and that you confess that He is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. Oh, that changes things. Because then we recognize that sin is no longer our master. Oh, doesn't mean that you won't sin, but when you do, you won't keep feasting off of it. No, you feel convicted really quick. <laughs> And then you're reminded that's not where you belong. Oh, and there's agony and there's like repentance. You're like, oh God, I'm sorry. And you get up and you turn from it. And you turn to Christ. You don't waller in it. You don't abide in it. No, you get up from it. Oh, come on, if we would only know Him. And the power of his resurrection. The Bible says the same power that raised him up from the dead lives within us if we're believers. And we have overcome because of Christ. We are victorious because of Christ. Not because of our religious works, but because of Christ. We can't add anything to what he has already accomplished. And there's a freedom in that knowledge. There's a freedom in that for Christians because you're not striving to be right with God. Oh, oh, oh. No, when you recognize that it's all because of what Christ has accomplished. There's a subtleness. There's an ease that comes upon your Christian life that you just walk confidently in Christ. In Christ. Yes, Lord. Surrendered. Not because you're forced, because you just freely give up. Because nothing compares to Him. Nothing. And no one. Oh, when you know Christ, oh, you have all that you need. And Christ 
should be your all in all. And he's telling these people, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you, they demanded. And Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. But they still didn't understand that he was talking about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, when you understand that I am he, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the father taught me, and the one who sent me is with me, he has not deserted me. For I always do what pleases him. Then many heard him say these things, and look at this good news, believed in him. Oh, how I pray that today as we're in scripture, that you hear and that you believe and who he is. There's a lot of people, my God, social media is a hot mess. And the, and the craziness that comes from so-called ministries, so-called churches. I listen and I watch them and I see their posts and I go, I, it, it, it just baffles my heart and my mind. But then I remind myself, but Rob, you were once there. And so I engage in praying for them. That their eyes would be open. I mean, if you hear some of the craziness that is being taught and and, and claims to be Christianity, I go, oh God, do they not understand that they have to stand before you? Do they not understand that they're making people twice as much the son of hell as they are? It's ridiculous. And then it breaks my heart because people are listening and people are believing. People are turning from truth. There's a falling away taking place. People who used to hold strong conviction to biblical truth are turning quickly to these false teachings, to these false gospels. And that's why I am pleading with us this morning... Get rooted in Christ. Grow and mature because the days are evil. And you're going to be swept away if your roots aren't down deep. How sad. How sad. Are you engaging in warfare? The battle belongs to the Lord. But he has called us forth to represent him, to stand up and be counted among those who are of his kingdom, living by his power for his glory. Come on, we ought to be excited to be Christians instead of worried, instead of complaining, instead of fearful because we come to church. Though we are to be engaging with our King and with fellow believers, encouraging and edifying and building each other up 
instead of tearing down, instead of mocking, instead of stripping people bare and offering them no hope. Come on, we've got to see and know who our enemy is. We've got to understand the old man and the old woman and we've got to reckon them dead, nailed to the cross, to his cross. And our heart's cry is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That thy kingdom come, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're living differently because we're different people now. We're honoring our God. We're fighting for the heart of our King. Oh, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Go to... Matthew 13. Again, scripture that we've seen before. But for the past two weeks, it has just been on my heart and I've been praying for us. For the soil of our hearts. It's the parable of the farmer scattering seed later that same day chapter 13 verse 1 Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake a large crowd soon gathered around him so he got into a boat then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore he told them many stories in the form of parables such as this one Jesus' words listen a farmer went out to plant some seeds he scattered them across his field Some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Highlight that, circle that, meditate upon that. Verse 12, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, they just show up, they just turn on. But they're not engaged. Even what little understanding they will have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. You see the condition of men's hearts and women's hearts? It doesn't take God by surprise. He knows the hearts of those sitting and hearing His word. He knows. They will look. They will show up. They will turn on. But they will not see. 
They will hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do for you, you will not comprehend. Look at this, verse 15. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And we blame God. When the problem is you. You. Are you seeing? Are you hearing? Are you understanding? Are you engaged with the king? And if you're not, then please don't play that weird game that we've all have played. Poor me. I'm a horrible Christian. I can't do anything right. Look at the choices I've made. Look at my life. Oh, the church looks down on me. Oh, we have all this weirdness. Because we're looking at self. Are you looking at self today? Get over yourself. And get to Christ. Stop allowing the enemy to have you so engaged in chasing your tail and making it all about you and your works and your performance when the issue is your sin. Repent. It's just that easy. Get up from the craziness in your life. Get up from the chaos. Get up from the ruins and get to Christ. Begin to live step by step, day by day, year by year, moment by moment. Live for Christ. For Christ and Christ alone. He goes on, but blessed are your ears because they see and your ears, I mean, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting the seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches it away, or snatches the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it, look at this, with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out, look at this, by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. 
The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Listen to the word of God, you all. How's your heart? How's the soil of your heart? And if you recognize that your heart is not of good soil, then get to Christ. Come to Christ. You have not because you've asked not. Ask Him to toil the soil of your heart that you may produce fruit. And listen, the Christian life is, is, is a life filled with trials. I told you and I've reminded us it doesn't make sense to the natural man, to the natural woman, to our natural heart and mind. The understanding that we have to die in order to really live. So you die to yourself. You pick up the cross and you follow Him. You are now hated by the world. You are behind enemy lines. No one in their natural mind signs up for this way of life. But when you've been born again, you understand. You have eyes to see and ears to hear. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Truth has been revealed. This world is not my home. It is not our home. We're no longer shackled and enslaved. We're no longer wallowing <laughs> in defeat and despair. We have hope. That's why as Christians we can endure through trials. We persevere. Our character is being formed and strengthened. And our hope is being rooted in Christ. And we live for Christ. No matter what is done to us, we live for Christ. Our faith isn't shaking. We're not in Christ one day and out the next. One hour in, the next hour out. No, we are rooted and we are grounded in Christ. He is our all in all. We're mindful of where we're allowing our hands to be placed. We're allowing our eyes to be fixed upon. What we're allowing out of our mouths and we're allowing our feet to lead us. Because we know we belong to Him. But He placed His hands there. But He set His eyes upon that. Would He allow that to come forth from His mouth? Would He allow His feet to be led to that place? See, we're living differently. And we're living to honor Christ. Be encouraged. <laughs> Don't be misled. The justice of God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. Go to Joshua chapter 13 through 14. We're going to walk through our scriptures. We do a little of the Old Testament, some of the New Testament. We walk through a psalm and a nugget or two of Proverbs. So let's get through Joshua 13 and 14 today. The land yet to be conquered. We're been walking through the Old Testament. 
Joshua is leading the, the <coughs> is leading Israel as the Lord is directing him. He's conquering kings, he's distributing land, but yet there's more land to conquer. And again, I keep encouraging us as you're reading through the Old Testament. Keep an eye out for Christ. He's all through it. Look who's leading the people. Joshua. A man led by God. Called forth in that hour to lead. And they're doing all that they have been asked to do. And that's where I find hope and encouragement in Scripture as I'm reading through Joshua. The hope of a life that is lived in obedience. The battle is not ours to wage. The battle is the Lord's. But we are called to obey. Are you obeying? As we're seeing... And as I said last week, as we're in this part of the the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, we're seeing Israel for a season obeying. And they're reaping the benefits of their obedience. But soon, just keep turning pages, and you're going to see that God isn't enough for them. They're longing yet again for the natural world. Oh, how I pray that would not be said about our lives. There's a few pages where we're all for God. We're in it for God. We're living for God. And then you just keep turning the pages of life. And then where are you? (laughs) You're in and out of church. (laughs) You're in and out of your walk with God. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. You're offended by this person. You're upset by that. You're entrapped and enslaved to sin. All of a sudden your life is defined by you. And no longer defined by God. But oh how I pray that that season will not continue to mark you. But that you would turn yet again to Christ. And that you would get rooted in Him so that you may be established in Him because of Him, by Him, and through Him. He is enough, you all. He is enough. There's land that still needs to be conquered. When Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, You are growing old, and much land remains to be conquered. This is the territory that remains, all the regions of the Philistines and the Gerashites, and the larger territory of the Canaanites, extending from the stream of Shihor on the border of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It includes the territory of the five Philistine rulers of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The land of the Abites in the south also remains to be conquered. In the north, the following area has not been conquered. And all the land of the Canaanites, including Moriah, which belongs to Shadirians, stretching towards the apex on the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all the Lebanon mountain area to the east, from Baal Gad 
below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath and all the hill country from Lebanon to Mizpah Miram, including the land of the Sidonians. My, I myself will drive these people out of the land ahead of the Israelites. So be sure to give this land to Israel as a special possession, just as I have commanded you. Include all this territory as Israel's possession when you divide this land among the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I love that line, I, myself, God, will drive these people out of the land ahead of the Israelites. And I've been reminding us as we've been studying through this book, and we've seen the Israelites being instructed by God to go forth into this land and to take the land. And as you're taking the land, slaughter the people. All of them. Men, women, children. Slaughter, slaughter them. And people will read that and people will say to you, well, how can a loving God do that? And I keep reminding us. You need to be quick with your response and confident in your response. How could he not? How could he not? Remember, he is a just God. When people are questioning God, when people are holding their fist against God and, and, and judging his character, they don't know God. So you can't be swayed by them and st stuttering on your words and stampering on them and all of a sudden you lost confidence of who God is. You better know your God. He is just. He is right. He is good. There's no error found in Him. His judgments are swift. His judgments are correct. He knew good and well those people were evil. They would have never turned to Him. They were vile. They were wicked. They worshipped all these other gods that they've created by their own hands. They had no desire for the living God. And yet they knew of Him because they heard the reports of Him. And yet they did not fear Him. Or even if they feared Him, it didn't provoke them to come to surrender to Him. They refused. They wanted to hold on to their lands, to their traditions, and to their gods. And God knew it. And God was turning over this land to His people. And just as God warned His people, remain in me, abide in me, follow my instructions, do not be tempted or swayed away by those other people. Do not get caught up in their celebrations. <clears throat> Do not get caught up in their idolatrous worship. I'm your God. If you turn and become like them, I'll wipe you out. Israel heard this. They knew it. They witnessed the power of God time and time and time and time again and yet they still went their way. They were drawn out by the culture around them. How is the culture luring you 
from the presence of God. Oh, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. There's nothing that the culture has that you need. (laughs) Christ is enough. God is enough. I'm completely satisfied and content in Christ. And when desires want to flare up, when the chaos wants to surround, you better be quick to remind yourself of who He is. He is just and He is right. I don't have to apologize for God. I don't have to be weak-willed with no backbone and all of a sudden when people are demanding, how can a loving God do it? No, you show the confidence of who God is and you say, how can He not? He is a just God. I saw this bumper sticker yesterday. It's one bumper sticker with three lines. How's my driving? How does an engine really work? And then how can a loving God cause such agony? It's like, wow. Started praying for that person. That they would truly understand the love of God. Love of God isn't causing agony. Sin is. The error is found in man. The error is found in you. It's not found in God. It goes on. Half the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Reuben and Gad had already received their grants of, of land on the east side of the Jordan for Moses, the servant of the Lord, had previously assigned this land to them. And I love it as we're reading through this tune and, and we're seeing the, 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 the land and the territories being assigned to the to these tribes of Israel. I mean, don't miss out. This is the fulfillment of God's faithfulness to His promises. And so as you're reading through this, don't get lost up in all of this, but, but really settle within your heart that look how faithful God is to what He has said and what He has spoken. Their territory extended from Aror on the edge of the Arnon Gorge, including the town in the middle of the gorge, to the plain beyond Medaba, as far as Dibon. It also included all the towns of King Shion of the Amorites, who had reigned in Heshbon and extended as far as the borders of Ammon. It included Gilead, the territory of the kingdoms of Geshur and Makkah, all of the Mount Hermon, all of the Bashan, as far as the Salakah. All the king, I mean, all, and all the territory of King Og of Bashan, had, who had reigned in Ashtor of Edrir. King Og was the last of the Rephites, for Moses had attacked them and driven them out. But the Israelites failed to drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah, so they continued to live among the Israelites to this day. Moses did not assign any allotment of the land to the tribe of Levi. Instead, as the Lord had promised them, Their allotment came from the offerings burned on the altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. Moses had assigned the following area to the clans of the tribe of Reuben. And you can read through that. 
we pick up in verse 24. Moses had assigned the following area to the clans to the tribe of Gad. And you can read through that. Verse 29, again, we see Moses had assigned the following areas to the clan of the half of the tribe of Manasseh. And you can read what he um, assigned to them verse, between verse 30 and 31. Verse 32, these are the allotments Moses had made while he was on the plains of Moab across the Jordan River, east of the Jericho. But Moses gave no allotment of land to the tribe of Levi, for the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised that he himself would be their allotment. Look how beautiful that is. Again, the promises of God are yes and amen. He fulfills what he has spoken. Chapter 14, the remaining tribes of Israel received the land of Canaan as an allotment of it by Eleazar the priest. Joshua, son of Nun, and the tribal leaders. These nine and a half tribes received their grants of land by means of sacred lots in accordance with the, law, with the Lord's command through Moses. Moses had already given a grant of land to the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, but he had given the Levites no such allotment. The descendants of Joseph had become two separate tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the Levites were given no land at all, only towns to live in with surrounding pasture lands for their livestock and all their possessions. So the land was distributed in strict accordance with the Lord's command to Moses. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jethron the Kenesonite, came to Joshua at Gilgad. Caleb said to Joshua, I love this, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me, when we were at the Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive. As well as he promised all, for all those four, these 40 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we formed the, des the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joseph, I mean Joshua, blessed Caleb, son of Jephna, uh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belonged to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephthah of Kenazite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Previously, Hebron had called Kilibrah. It had been named after Arba, a great hero of the descendants of Anak, and the land had rest from war. Caleb received that which was due to him. He wholeheartedly Follow the Lord. Oh, may that be said about you. May that be said about you. 
And I love again, we see this passage, the ending of the scripture, that for this season of time, the land ceased from war. See, you're going to enter seasons of intense warfare. You're going to enter in seasons of rest and peace. Have the discernment and the understanding of the season in which you are facing and the season which is ahead of you. Be prepared in and out of seasons. Be in Christ. Be rooted and grounded. Know your God. Know that He is faithful. He's not man that He should buy. He will deliver and bring about what He has promised. Everything is for Him and by Him and through Him advancing His kingdom so that His glory would be made known throughout the earth. Come on, let's celebrate our God. Let's know our God. Let's walk in step with our God. The battle belongs to Him. Amen. He is already victorious. That is abide in Him. That is remain in Him. And let us seek Him. Go to Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 7. Luke 18, verse 1 through 7. Nope, 1 through 17. Yep. Luke 18, verse 1 through 17. One day Jesus told his disciple a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Oh, can we hear that this morning? We should always pray and never give up. We should always pray and never give up. It doesn't say we should always pray and then murmur, complain, fault find, blame God. No, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. <laughs> there was a judge in a certain city he said, who neither, listen to how this judge is described, he neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God. Or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. He's a wicked judge. He himself knows. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. But he's had enough of this woman. Constantly. Coming to him. So he breaks. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who carry out to him, I'm sorry, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth 
who have faith. Listen to that. God who is just. God who is good. It says here, if that unjust judge can grant justice, God, who is the righteous judge, keep asking, keep seeking, keep crying out day and night this persistent understanding of prayer. We can't just give up because God's not moving on our time. No, we've got to know our God, how great He is, how just He is. I, mean, I wish I had time to break down the scriptures that I've been meditating on that ties into this. I mean, you can go back all through scripture and you can see warfare taking place in the heavenly realms. You can see when the prophet was praying and the angel was delayed to get to the man of God because he had to deal with the principalities ruling over the city. We limit ourselves as Christians to just look at the natural plane. But yet we're moved by the spiritual stuff that the world throws at us. Oh, we're so intrigued by that. If we not, do we not understand that there is a realm that we cannot see? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities and the air of the darkness. And we limit our God as if he is, He's not greater than that, that He's lower than them. We limit ourself, and then we just give up. No, we have got to be a praying people. We've got to know our King, we've got to understand His kingdom. We've got to walk in victory. The devil is under our feet because of Christ. We can claim the, the, the rights to the kingdom of God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And it's time that the church get up and have a backbone. And begin to push back. Because the last time I checked, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Amen. So what are we doing giving up? What are we doing cowering down to darkness? What are we doing allowing sin to enslave us? What are we doing giving up praying for our loved ones? Praying for our nation. Praying as we're going into stores and as we're on the highway and the byways. Praying for the kingdom of God to advance. Praying for the persecuted church to be strengthened. Praying for their captives to, to have their eyes open and come to the salvation of Christ. Oh, we have to be kingdom minded. We limit our prayers. God is great. God is good. Thank you for this food. Amen. And there's nothing wrong starting there. But for God's sakes, if that's what you're praying, and it's been years that you've been with Christ, something is wrong. Now I lay me down to sleep. I praise the Lord my soul to keep. Fine. Start there. But you better start praying. And seeking and asking, and growing, and maturing. Again, there's a realm in which we cannot see. Satan is ruling and running the earth. 
everything is coming into play as the Bible has described up until the return of Christ. And the church is not to be fearful. No, the church is hopeful. When we see the wickedness that's abounding, it is not time to back down. It is not time to attack them. It is time to pray. It is time to collectively and individually pray. And pray without ceasing. Then Jesus told this story to some <clears throat> who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So he's talking to the religious people. They have confidence in their position in the temple, just as with Christians and churches today. Their confidence is not in Christ. Their confidence is in their own righteousness, their knowledge, their position. <laughs> and they really have nothing just like these Pharisees. Two men, Jesus says, went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like the other people, the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. I am certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this sinner not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who humble themselves will be, I'm sorry, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You would think that the Pharisee would be in the right, in the right relationship with God. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious man. He knows the word. He knows the laws. He knows the prophetic times around him. And yet, he looks down on everyone else. And he makes it all about him. And God is not pleased with him. The tax collector comes in. He sees his need for God's mercy. He recognizes he's a sinner. Have you recognized your need for the mercy of God. When you recognize that, oh, I am a sinner, God, forgive me. Have mercy upon me, God. I'm not looking to point to myself, but God, it's you that I need. That man is justified. God is with that man. And oh, how I pray that we get to that place of humility. You see, every single day I've encouraged you should get up. And before you put your feet on that ground, you've got to remember who you could be or who you are. 
and then remind yourself of who he is. Not a single day in the past 20 some odd years that I have my eyes awake in the morning that I remind myself I'm a dead man. I don't want to get up and live for myself. But God, I belong to you. Throughout the day, I have to remind myself when I feel my flesh wants to rise up. When the world is throwing everything and anything at me. When I can feel the enemy breathing down my neck. When I can feel the desires flaring up. That I say, oh no, wait a minute. Christ is for me. He's not against me. Christ is my all in all. And as it is with me, so it is with you. If you're a Christian, that's how you're to be living. When you stumble, when you fall, don't remain enslaved. Get up and repent. Turn to Christ. God, I need you. God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. God's sin is mastering. That's not where I belong. You see, we got to make sure we're not allowing sin to enslave us. We're now slaves to righteousness. You do not belong shackled. You belong free. Amen. In Christ. And we have to excuse that weird language that Christians pick up and start saying, Oh, but I'm just a sinner. No, you're not a sinner if you're in Christ. You're a child of God. Remind yourself. Not because of anything you've done. Because of Christ. It's humility. Oh, I could go forth and sin. But why would I? Or when I give in and I do sin, why would I remain there? Because that is not who I am. That Christ is my all in all. Know your God, you all. One day... Some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. <laughs> then Jesus called for the children and said to his disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Listen to Jesus' words. Children are so innocent. It doesn't take a lot for them to believe in anything. They're so open. Know how that should be with us as we come to Christ with childlike faith. I love to see families but what moves my heart the most is when I see fathers with their little kids. It reminds me. It reminds me. My relationship with God and our relationship with God. I was sitting at the beach the other day. I was praying, just watching the kids play and families. And there was just one daddy with his little girl and they were walking first hand in hand. And then he, you know, he let her go, and she's running. She's little, little. And she's running, and the waves were just pounding. And, I mean, there were so many people, and there was so much stuff around that could have distracted her. 
but she was safe in the presence of her father. Her father was with her. She was just running. And then all of a sudden, she took a turn to the left and was running towards the ocean. And that dad took off quickly. Quickly. Scooped her up as the waves came down on him. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful picture of a loving father. See, that's God, you all. Don't listen to the enemy and don't listen to the world that tries to turn him into this horrible God. He is not horrible. He is loving. He is just. He is kind. He is for us. He's not against us. It is desires that we would know him and be known by him to receive this free gift of salvation. He freely came to take our punishment. He freely laid his life down. He didn't ask anything of us. Just recognize you need me. It's that simple. You need me. Remember what we read earlier? The light. And it's the light that leads to life. So don't get caught up in the culture around you. Don't get caught up with the desires that are within you that keep you from God. No, run to God. That father was a perfect example. And yet that, the, that vast ocean beating up against the, the sand, that little girl showed no fear of it. Because her father was there. We ought not to fear the vast world in front of us that just keeps pounding up against us and life. No, with God all things are possible. Just believe you all. Just believe. God is good. Go to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. We're coming to a close. Psalm 85, Lord, you poured out blessings on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God, our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let's stop there before we finish this. This psalmist, he knows his God. And that's what I keep reminding you about the book of Psalms. You could find hope in it. These men, as they're pinning these words, they're expressing such transparency. At times, such agony. And yet, they kept looking up to their God. We know that you're a God of salvation. You're a God that saves and delivers. You're a God who's faithful to your promises. 
We've turned from you, God. And that's where the psalmist finds himself with Israel. Yet again, we've turned from you. Will you be angry with us continually? Will our future generations have to pay for what we've done? Oh God, will you not look upon us yet again and deliver us? Oh, are you crying out to God? That's what I keep telling you. So many people, it's amazing how many people I counsel with this issue, but so many people, they turn from God because they believe the lie of the enemy and the lies in which they have conjured up themselves. But if you would know your God and be known by Him, you would live differently. That even in times of, of grief and sorrow and discipline and anything other season that you may face, you could trust God. This psalmist had hope even in the midst of the discipline that the nation is facing. He had hope. And oh, where are the people of our nation today that have hope to stand up and pray for our nation, pray for the church within our nation? Where's the church? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us us and grant us your salvation. He goes on, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for He speaks, listen to this, peace to His faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, so our land will be filled with His glory unfailing love and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed oh I love that line listen to how he penned that unfailing love and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed truth springs up from the earth and righteousness smiles down from heaven yes the Lord pours down his blessing our land will yield its bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. This is our God, you all. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't say it enough. Oh, how I pray that you know him, that you are walking with him intimately that you understand that in for eternity you are with him in his kingdom if you know him if you have received him if you've come by faith and accepted Jesus as your lord and savior and stop resisting him and stop rebelling against him he is so gracious he is so kind his love endures forever His love endures forever. Oh, how I pray that you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Go to Proverbs 13. We're closing. Two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 13, verse 7 and 8. Psalm 
Some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. The rich can pay a ransom for their lives, but the poor won't even get threatened. Understand that. These wisdom that are the wisdom that is found in Proverbs. The understanding that wisdom is to be applied in our lives so that we would live lives that are honorable to God. I'm going to close this out with this song and then I'm going to close this in prayer.
Nothing can stand it